You know, uh, last Wednesday, Peter had an excellent message on our yesterday and um, ties into tonight. I was going, like I said, I was going to start in on the uh, financial tonight, but uh, because of next week and the four services, we'll have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday, and then not have our Wednesday Bible study. And so if I started tonight, then it was going to be two weeks before I picked up. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to start it after that so that I, I can keep going on it. And beyond that, uh, I didn't get to finish on what I was talking about on the power of oppression. If you remember two weeks ago, I talked about oppression. And oppression's goal is to control. I didn't get to go through everything, ran out of time. And so uh, I wanted to pick up on that. But you know, Peter's message on yesterday, that our yesterday has given a lot of doors for oppression to work. And uh, because the enemy uh, is trying he wants to oppress people because the, the objective of oppression is to control. And if, and if he can control us in the decisions that we make, he can get us to go down paths that God never intended for us, but we'll go down it anyway. That's why you see people's lives that are totally, uh, just totally messed up. They're just out of control. Now, they've got, a, they've got an excuse for everything. They can justify everything. They can give you their opinion, but you can look and they, they can't even manage their life. Uh, and, uh, and they don't understand how it's working. Uh, what I mean by how it's working is, why am I not able to live at the level that's in my mind and in my heart that I think, why does everything keep falling apart? And then they start playing the blame game on, well, it's because of this, it's because of something else. But the enemy shows up for three reasons. Why? Kill, steal, and destroy. And so, but he cannot kill you, he cannot destroy you, and he cannot steal from you. You have to give him permission to. I have to give him permission to. If he could kill you, you would not be here tonight. If, if he could steal from you, like one of his little demons, go over and take all your stuff. You would never have anything. And even when you got it back, it would be stolen again. You would be in a constant state of never having anything because he could steal or destroy whatever you have. You have to give him permission. And by giving him permission is you've got to yield to what he's trying to give you, the thought, the idea. And this oppression operates through the mind. Now, the mind, I've taught a lot about it, the soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions. The emotions play a big part of it because a lot of people make emotional decisions. I can guarantee you that if you're in the habit of making emotional decisions, your life's not going to work. You will be wrong the majority of the time because feelings are fickle. But if the enemy, the enemy understands that if he can get you to analyze and make decisions based on uh, wrong information, now, I, I've, told, I've told the story, pff, I've told it once, I probably told it a hundred times of Freddie that I hired uh, when I was in finance, and he was like 19, 20 years old when I hired him. Best salesman I, I, I've ever, I, I would just sit and watch him. He was, he was so good. Uh, he was Mexican, he was born in Mexico. Uh, English was not his native tongue, but he had no accent. You could not tell it was a second language for him. N young, nice-looking kid, and uh, I'd just sit there and watch him. And uh, uh, like I said, he was selling Kirby's door to door. He sold two at one house over in like Pixley or one of those little towns over in that area. And I said, why did you do it? And he said, because I can. I, I mean, he was just confident. And because he had no Spanish accent, even when he was dealing with Spanish uh, customers, he did not speak Spanish. He was fluent, that was his first language. And so what he would do, because what the, the clients would do 
is they would come in, speak English, but then when they wanted to talk to themselves amongst all the gringos, you know, they would talk to each other in Spanish. So, and he would just sit there, but he would know all the, the information that they're talking about of, of what they're trying to figure out. Then he would sell to it. The, the kid was just good. And uh, we, we packed on that junkie insurance on loans, you know, like credit life, credit disability, credit unemployment, AD&D, and all these different junkie insurances. One time he came in, gave, brought me a loan package, and uh, it was, the people are, were like requesting $1,500, and the loan was like $3,300. And I started looking at all the insurance he packed on. And I'm like, Freddie, you can't do this. He says, I've already done it. He said, it's all sold. There's no objection. I said, no, morally, you can't do it. <laughs> and he's like, why not? I said, because morally it's wrong. <laughs> and that's where we made our money, and we were going to make a lot of money on this. But it's like, no, you can't do that. you got to have some human uh, element to you. And, uh, but he was just a good salesman. A good salesman can sell you something that you do not want. Anybody a victim of that? Oh, y'all got your hand down like you can stand against salesman. Okay, thank you, Lupe. Uh, you're honest, because I bet you you have too. And because uh, most people don't know how to pronounce that two-letter word, no. And, um, and so uh, anyway, uh, the enemy is a good salesman. And if he can make you to make decisions, he can put pressure on you through your mind. And, and that's what I want to deal with is how this oppression works. So as I said last week is that, um, I don't know if I finished tying it in, but the yesterday message that Peter preached last Wednesday was an excellent message on his own, but it also feeds into oppression because the decisions that we've made yesterday are still plaguing a lot of people today, which was his message, which opens the door for oppression, which was not his, I, I mean, kind of was his message. I don't, just don't think he used the same word um, in that. So then, so oppression's goal is to control our decisions. Now, God wants us to be free. If if, will you guys be honest with me for a minute? How many struggle saying no to somebody? Okay, so, so more than half, three quarters, seven eighths, or 99%. Why? No, no, you don't answer me here, but just think about why. Why can't I say no? There, there's something inside of you that makes you struggle to say no. How that person's going to think of you, you know, you know wh whatever your little answer is on that but that is really not them that's inside of you that's oppression that that's the the spigot of oppression that that will make you make a decision okay i will do this even though it's not something i want to do because i can't say no oppression's goal is to control you so if i'm not if i struggle to say no something is controlling me on the inside that forces me to say no and i'm not free to make the correct decision or, or, you know, whatever the correct decision is in that, that arena. So um, many people think they're making their own choices, but you've really got to sit down and look at yourself. Why are you doing what you're doing? Now, I have no problem saying no. Uh, we were over at a timeshare uh, that last week when we were gone. Yeah, that was last week, wasn't it? And uh, so we went down there, and the guy was wanting us, you know, if, you, if you're familiar at all with time sh timeshares, uh, once you go down there, they always want you to come back and buy more. And so every, every time you go down there, they want you to get you into a sales pitch, and it's always hidden by uh, there's new things, and we want to share with you what's going on. 
So you, in the process of checkout, you end up at the place where they're going to try to pitch you. And I told him no. And uh, he says, why not? And I told him my reason. And I said, it's not, it's not worth it to me. Well, why, why did it? I said, no, I don't want to do it. What can I do to get you to do it? And, uh, and he said, I'll, we'll give you $150 if you go. One hour, we'll write it down. See, here's the paperwork. It says one hour maximum. You can get up and walk out. 150 bucks insurance. I said, no. Why not? Do you, know, you can't spend $150? I said, yeah, but I'm not starving. You know? Uh, it's not enticing to me. How about 200 I said, no. I, I don't want the money. And, uh, or I didn't say I don't want the money. I said, it's not worth it to me to do this for the money. And uh, so he says, all right. Finally, we were talking. For He's a really nice guy. And um, but anyway, we kind of closed it up, and I told Tammy, because uh, she hates him too. Uh, and, and, sh and she can't say no. She's not around here, can she? And um, so, uh, but, but there is one thing interesting about the whole thing is Hilton Properties has bought out the timeshare, so there are some new things going on. So I told her, she says, well, do you want to do it? And I said, not really. She said, but is there anything new with Hilton? I said, I don't know. And uh, she goes, so why don't we do it and just get to 200 bucks? I said, you want to? Because I have no problem. I can sit there for an hour and engage, but I have no problem saying no. And uh, so uh, I said, okay, but under one condition. What's that? I said, you don't talk. Because <laughs> she bites on the questions that he asks to take you down a path. Yes. It's like, really? Just, just sit there and be quiet. She goes, okay. She goes, I don't know why I do that. I, I, I said, can you keep your mouth shut? She said, yes. So I went in there in faith that she could keep her mouth shut. And actually, she did. Let's give her a, a kudos for that. And uh, so, uh, so we sat there for an hour, and, and I didn't buy because he gave me his math, and I said, but your math doesn't work, And I because I understand math. And you know, and I went through it, and he says, okay, well, I see you understand numbers. And uh, so uh, I said, let me ask you a question. He said, okay. Uh, I said, this, the sales at the front desk is come in here to find out what's new uh, with Hilton buying it and what that means to me. I said, is there anything? He said, no, not really. And uh, I said, thank you. Okay. And so we had a nice little, uh, um, you know, chat for an hour. Uh, it did go over an hour, uh, hour a little bit, 10 or 15 minutes. But it, Tammy said, it was because you were talking to him and asking him questions. <laughs> um, and so uh, uh, anyway, got her 200 bucks and uh, moved on. But see, there was nothing in me that forced me to have to take what he was selling. No, I don't want that. That doesn't benefit me. I was free to make a decision. Okay, if somebody, mom's testimony up here was a freedom to make a decision, a professional, somebody who is educated, who has made a diagnosis, uh, says you need to do this, and she said, nah, I'll hold off. She was free to make the decision. I would say, I don't know what the real statistic is, but I'd say in the 90%, people would just do it because the doctor said it. Okay, they're, they're not free to make a decision, and even if they're going to do the medical whatever, by golly, get a second opinion. Especially if they're cutting you open and doing, you know, uh, going to do something to you that, that can cause damage. And so um, we have to understand. Now go to 2 second, second Timothy chapter 4. Uh, thank you. Let, let me, I, I interrupt you. Let me do that again. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Yes. Woo! All right. We're ready for the word. And we're going to see a, a depiction of where oppression has there's degrees of oppression, and I'm going to go through that in just a minute. But we're going to see where oppression has a handle here. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. 
and has departed. So Demas, man, I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, if I could walk with the Apostle Paul, I don't think I'd have a problem sitting through his all-night meetings preaching. It's like this guy knew so much. And, uh, but Demas had a struggle. There was something pressing on him, and that was his love for this present world. There was things that he wanted, desired, looked at like Eve when she saw that the fruit was good, that now that thing had a hold on him and is trying to control his thoughts. So you have to know from this verse, now this is David looking at the verse, the Bible doesn't say this, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He didn't wake up one morning and say, oh golly gee whiz, I love this world. I'm leaving, Paul. There was a progression that took place. And in that progression, this, this handle was putting pressure on him to make a decision. This is why I've said many times that I'm very easy to connect with. I'm difficult to walk with uh, because I stay really focused on the word of God. And, and it makes people uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't see the, the spiritual elements with, within how this works. And so decisions I make and things I do uh, many times make people uncomfortable. So we can see the element of oppression in this. An exterior force that operates through the mind. Demas had to be thinking about this. He had to have thoughts come in. Can't you see that? Now, it kind of makes you wonder back in the day, what did he love? I mean, it's like they didn't have fancy cars. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like you think about where we live today and the things that we live. It's like, oh, man, I want to just go out and party. What did they do back then that he loved? Shows you the power of oppression. Because he saw something that he wanted. And that what, what he saw and what he desired controlled him and pressured him to do something. Have you ever had and been in a situation in your life where there's this constant nagging, if for lack of a better word, to make a decision and do something that you know you shouldn't do? Okay, I heard somebody say absolutely yes. That's oppression working. Oppression's desire is to control the decisions that we make. None of us are free from it. And you're going to see here as I break down some words uh, in the scripture, it's what the enemy does. It's one of his greatest weapons against people is to constantly put pressure on them to go in certain directions. Now, so uh, what we see in this verse is one is his love for, you know, the present world, uh, shows us this, this element of oppression that's working and that which he loved put enough pressure, pressure on him to, make, to make, cause him to make a decision. Now, oppression is an exterior, exterior spiritual force that comes against you. It doesn't rise up within you. It's actually operating from exterior onto you. Now, the enemy has, and we're going to see here in just a minute, um, uh, is that oppression comes from the devil. So as I said earlier, he cannot come and kill, steal, and destroy. He can only try and push on you to cause you to go the direction that will take you down the path of destruction. That's the only way he can kill, steal, and destroy. So the, the exercise of authority or power is burdensome. He wants to put... He wants to put a weight on you. 
Have you, have you ever said, not talking about your physical weight, I just feel so heavy today? Where, where's that heaviness coming from? It's like, I, I just feel like there's a cloud over me today. Really? There's not. But because this, this, it's an exterior spiritual force. And it's, it's an exercise of authority. This is going to be one of the great things about when Dr. Mize is here and he preaches on spiritual authority is that we have authority, but the enemy wants to gain authority. And you and I can give him permission to gain authority in our life. So it's burdensome, it's cruel, and he does it in an unjust manner. Now, there's many manifestations of oppression because oppression doesn't just have to be like I'm the devil right now, me coming after you. It can come in a third-party approach. If you have an abusive spouse, the enemy will use the abusive spouse to create elements of oppression, to control you. Because if you ever look in abuse of, of spouses and stuff like that, there's a high element of mind control that the abuser tries to get the abusee to think a certain way. And, and do, or, or you look at uh, um, children who are trafficked and stuff like that, uh, or who, who are just molested. And the molestor always tells them things like, if you tell anybody like this, I will, I will kill your parents. That's a form of oppression. Now, it's obviously demonic, but it's not the devil coming. It's the devil coming this way, using this person to come this way. So there's many forms. Can there be oppression with political? Uh, Political arenas. Oh, absolutely. Just go back to your calendar in 2020. There was a lot of oppression being, being launched. Trying to get people to make decisions based on fear and control and doing things that they don't normally do. So oppression works in, in uh, uh, several uh, different ways. What about a control freak? You ever met one of those? Because oppression is all about control. So they're functioning in a high level of oppression themselves, trying to control other people. So if we recognize this, then um, uh, we can start recognizing, I'm not going to give place to this spiritual force. And, and that's one of the things that I've worked on for me, just tell my, to, is, is, and it's why I can say no, I, I have no problems telling people no or saying no to things, is that, I really don't care what somebody thinks about me. I'm going to be free to make the decision because I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing a, a vision, a goal. There, I know what I'm here for and I know what I'm doing. So if somebody comes and brings something to me that, that would take me off course, I say, no. You know, maybe go talk to them. They, they could probably do this better for you or something like that. But I'm free in my heart. Uh, Paul, the apostle, was going to the uh, Gentiles and in Acts, uh, God said, I am going to free you from the people. So I, I'm, I'm going to send you into the Gentiles, but I'm going to set you free. So in your heart, you're free so you can minister. And all that comes against you, you won't move. So, so there's a, an arena there of the, he's going, I'm going to set you free from the spirit of oppression. Because oppression's desire is to control you. Uh, do you think uh, oppressive spirits can work with money? Well, most people are controlled by money. They don't control money. 
So, so just think of your net worth and you can answer the question if your money is controlling you or you're controlling your money. Because if, you if you control the money, you would put it to work for you. But, but I would venture to say most everybody in here is working for money. I don't think I'm going to do this financial thing. <laughs> See, there's people, you may know some, it may be self, that if you have a $20 bill in your pocket, it's going to get spent before the end of the day because you can't have money in your pocket without spending it. You think you're in control of money? That money is making you make decisions. I feel like I need to stay on this, this <laughs> subject. All right, so, so we can't give place to the spirit because the spirit is looking for realms within you where it can control you. Now, we would all have a different place. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Peter comes from a drug background. Now, he shut the door to that. I talked about it on our live stream on, on Monday and great testimony and not going back, but there was probably a progression of that and uh, uh, that he had to separate him from, himself from it until he got that door closed, uh, it wouldn't be a temptation for me. I've never done drugs in my life. I've never smoked marijuana before in my life. I don't, I don't like taking prescribed medicines. I, anytime I've ever been prescribed, I never follow the doctor's prescription because I never finish the bottle. Once I feel better, it's, it's done. I do away with it. I, I, so, so that would never be a temptation. So, um, so the enemy's not going to try to get a, a, a hold on me for drug usage because there's just no place in me for that. But we all have something in our life. And that's where the enemy is going to do. And how does he do that? He's going to throw thoughts in. You're going to grab a thought someday. Ooh, I, I want to do that. Once you grab that thought, ooh, okay, this is the arena now that I, I, I need to, to work on them in. And, and we just think that, you know, when we're young and dumb, that we're just trying things because everybody tries them and we're just doing this and doing that because of this. And, uh, but no, the enemy is trying to find and locate where we are because we are all someplace. So go to Acts chapter 10. We dealt with this um, two weeks ago, uh, but I, I just want to read it again. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Oppression is from the devil. Oppression is from the devil. So, and, and for it to be from the devil, you have to understand it's spiritual. So, so you're not going to fight against something spiritual in a natural way. You may have a metabolism that gains weight very easy. You know, your physical body gains weight very easy. You can fight that metabolism by doing certain things, finding out what you can eat, you know, exercise. You, you can fight it on the natural level and, and offset your, your metabolism that's working against you on a natural level. You cannot do that with oppression because oppression is spiritual. So, to stand against oppression, you stand against it spiritually. And God has given us the power over this 
but we, you and I, have to not yield to it. So as I said before, the effect of pressure, go ahead. Natural sense, then you use the. Uh, I'm going to use the spouse situation. If you had a spouse that, uh, you know, kind of got on you about a third party, it comes in that way also. Um, what I want to say or ask you about is how does it manifest in the natural? Is it the senses? Well, it's it's going to come. It's it's going to operate in the mind and not out of the spirit. Number one. If oppression could enter your spirit, it could possess you. It doesn't have the power to possess you unless you let it go to the, the full extreme and open yourself up to possession. So it's going to come to see if you will take hold of it. So utilizing a, an abusive spouse, the abusive spouse has already yielded themselves to satanic influence. Otherwise, they wouldn't be abusive. Okay? So now the abusive spouse is going to present information to you through words, that's like verbal abuse, uh, physical beating, uh, you know, doing whatever the abusive is. Now you are going to have to make a decision about that. So most people, when they're in an abusive situation, internalize and say, I must be doing something wrong. I must not be good enough. That's what oppression wants you to do, is get you to make a decision. Because what do you think would happen? Uh, let, let's take the uh, woman as the abuse E. And what do you think that would happen the first time the abuser husband came up and tried to abuse, and she popped him in the nose, broke his nose, and called 911 and had him arrested? Would she then be subject to the oppression? No, but very few will do that. Most of the time, how it's going to manifest is we're going to internalize the experiences that we've had. Yeah, and, and they're going to give us an identity. Does that make sense and answer your question? So then, uh, so, so we know that oppression is from the devil. So the word devil, there's the word diablos, and it means one, and, and listen to this definition. I'm not just defining a word. I, I'm defining the strategy, the devil, diablos. One who repetitiously strikes until successfully penetrating an object to ruin it, affect it, or take it captive to slander. Accuse or defame to penetrate by continuous assault to ensnare with a net. So on stories that you've probably read about where somebody was uh, abused as a spouse, uh, what typically happens after the man abuses the woman? They apologize. Oh, I love you. I'm sorry about this. You know, my anger, but I'm going to get this fixed. This will never happen again. But go back here to the, uh, how many knows that's not true? Okay. One who repet repetitively strikes until successfully penetrating. So they have the bad experience. Oh, okay. It was just a one-time thing. And, but it's going to continue to repetitively do things until it breaks something inside of you. 
And if you know anybody that's ever been in that, how hard is it for them to leave the abuser? Like very hard. Why? It, leaving, it makes no, no sense whatsoever to stay, does it? To the outsider. To the outsider. Yeah. But to the insider, it makes no sense to leave. This is how powerful oppression is. Now, the second part that we see from Acts 10, 38 is the effect of oppression is you need to be healed. Now, this word healed in the original Greek primarily deals with physical healing, but it also will deal with a spiritual healing. So whether it's a physical sickness or a, a spiritual or soulish sickness, uh, Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed, of the devil, healing, whether it was a spiritual healing or a physical healing that manifests because being under the power of oppression, especially when you get into the deeper levels of oppression, it can make your body physically sick and, and have, you know, physical things on there. So demons are working against every one of us to break us down. Remember Diablos, the definition there? He repetitively does things until he penetrates and is successful. Now, most people just live their life and think life is happening to them, but the enemy has a target on you. And he knows where your weak spots are because he's been watching you. He knows where, where you let down your guard or the thing like Demas that you love because even though people say, man, I hate the fact that I do this, by virtue of the fact that you continue to do it, you don't hate it. Because if you really hated it, you would do everything you can to get out of it. And we're all guilty of that. That we hang on to things as long as we can manage them. And the enemy's going to hit, 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 hit. Uh, you know, have you ever had like an a, a addictive habit? You know, let's just take smoking. And let's say you smoked for 10 years and finally said, I had enough of this. I'm going to quit it. You quit for a year, two years. And then you go back because he didn't give up on you. He knows there was an attachment in there. And if he can just get you to a certain place and get you to reconnect to that, alcohol, drugs, yeah. you know, anything, it doesn't matter, gambling, you know, uh, anything. It can be legal things that are destructive to you. Uh, if he knows that you have a, a, a passion in that, that's an area that he's going to repetitively hit at to try to draw you back into. Until you can close the door to that, that I'm never going back to that, that it's final, I mean, once that decision is made and you will never go back to it, you know, you have you ever made a decision and there was no turning back? It was done and you went forward. You don't have the same fight because he knows he's going. He's not going to win that fight if you've really done it. He may come back every once in a while and try to throw it in front of you, dangle it out there just to see if you'll bite. But if you don't bite and you don't even look at it, he's going to move on because he's as a lion. Lions look at their prey, and they only run after if they feel they have a very high chance of getting it. So they look for the weak. They look for the disconnected. They look for, you know, separate, yeah, something that says, okay, I can get this one because they're not behaving correctly. And then when they can do that, they'll go, they'll go after it. So how do they do that? Uh, they're trying to get us down a path, and they attack us with thoughts thoughts and events to penetrate the mind and the emotion. There's two arenas there that can, uh, uh, that can take us. Now, I, I don't operate emotionally, like very, very low 
on it. I, I don't make emotional decisions. Um, you know, so he's not going to attack me emotionally because that's, that's not even an arena that I'll fight in. Now, my problem is my logical thinking. So, so he's, he will attack on, wouldn't it make more sense to do this? Be, because my battle would be yielding to my mind to figure something out. Which is very funny. Now, this may come to a shock, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> but I really thought I was dumb growing up. Isn't it amazing that he got me to take thoughts to think that I was dumb and like I would do very poorly on tests and I would translate that that I was dumb. But do you know what the problem was? I didn't study. Now that, that's just a self-inflicted uh, wound, isn't it? But I took the thought, I took the bait of thinking I was dumb. That took me down a path that made me think I was dumb and made me think that I couldn't do it. When I went to college, I, uh, I don't know what the, the kicking point was, but, but it changed and I could see, you know, um, I'm not as dumb as what I thought I, uh, what I, thought I am. So he's going to try to get you and me to take something. Now, in Matthew, we won't turn there, but in Matthew 6, 25, 28, 31, and 34, it says, take no thought, or why are you taking that thought? So, so the element comes into whatever has control of your mind has control of you. There's another way that people say it, is that whoever has control of your ear has control of you. So what you listen to, what you study, what you feed yourself with, has a controlling element, and the enemy is looking at this to see where he could grab hold of a person. Now, if you go back to Joshua chapter 1, remember God talking to Joshua on how he's going to walk and fill Moses' sandal. He says, you got to keep my word in front of you day and night. You've got to meditate on it day and night. And if you will do this, then you shall have good success. So again, he didn't... He, uh, the element, New Testamentizing it, he didn't say you got to get born again. Or you gotta do Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed through the renewing of your mind. The, the mind is so critical in our walk with God, you have to be born again. That's like the easiest thing in the world that you can do. Believe in Jesus and what he did for you. You should be filled with the Spirit. That's where the power resides. But there's a lot of Spirit-filled Christians praying in tongues every day, and they can't beat anything in life because they have never renewed their mind. And they are moved by what people might think of them or, or not feeling able to do something or, or whatever it is that goes to their mind. So here in Matthew chapter 6, he says, take no thought. This is how the enemy is going to attack you is by you taking a thought. And he's, I, the way I've said it before, he's got a thought machine gun. I mean, he can just shoot thoughts really fast. Now, Everybody, this is where a lot of people mess up because, you know, oh, I'm hearing voices. Everybody hears voices. It's just don't take them. You have control over it. It's just the weaker minded you become, the more you think that there's something. In fact, I saw a post today about, in fact, I made a comment on it. I, I actually went on. I came back. 
David, just let it be. And I went on, and I came back, and I had to make a comment. And uh, uh, the comment was, if you're a sneaky person, uh, don't, don't get hooked up with uh, somebody who has spiritual gifts, because they'll know it, God will reveal it to them. And, and so I said, this sounds more like a spirit, of, a familiar spirit than a prophetic uh, um, statement. Because uh, the devil knows that the person's doing the same thing too. And a lot of people don't know the difference between a familiar spirit and... Uh, not the subject tonight, but let's, uh, let's, let's keep going here. So uh, take no thought. Now, I'm telling you how this progresses. You have to take the thought. Did you ever... Did, like my story, did you ever have a thought that you were dumb? How many years ever had thought, and, and they bit it now? Now, hold your hands up. Keep your hand up. Uh, put it down if it doesn't apply to you. You bit and took the thought. Like, you held on to it for a while. Okay, not very many hands went down. Okay. Um, has anybody taken the thought that I'm weird? Okay. <laughs> Me and Andrew and Mary. Okay. A lot of you are doing better than us. Uh, but, but people, you know, they'll, they'll take the, You do? Okay, so we got four of them. Um, have you ever, have you ever taken a thought of something physicality, too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny, too big of a nose, too small of a nose, you know, just something doesn't matter what. Okay. Now hold it there. Okay. Did you bite? How many carried that around? If you did not carry it around, put your hand down. But if you carried it around for a period of time, okay. So do you see what's happening? We get these thoughts in here and we all, we're all prone to something. So, so once we take the thought or we bite into the thought, then uh, reinforcements come. Yeah. I'm dumb. Then you do bad on a test. I'm dumb. And then so you do something or somebody's there and they say, man, don't you got any sense about you? And you think, oh, yeah, I am dumb. Something will come in and reinforce it. And so now... There, there's a stronghold being built in your mind that this has to be true. Because, because I'm thinking this way about myself, and now I'm hearing it from others who are saying things that are confirming what I say. Now, have you ever, especially like if you're in a close relationship or been in a close relationship with somebody, have you ever said something and they said, I can't believe you just said this about me. And what they said was like a million miles away from what you said. But they heard it as they're hurt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because they're, they're now looking for validation of this thing that's controlling me. And, and the enemy will help you find things. So, so, so that's going to start taking place. Um, and then you'll have experiences that validate it. Something will happen and you'll say, wow, you know, it's true what I was thinking and what they said, because look, this just happened. And what we're doing now is we're forming an identity. Well, this is just the way I am. No, it's not. It's how you've allowed yourself to develop. And, and like, let's say if it's drug addiction, 
you go into drug addiction and then you get out of it and you go to something, you know, like NA or AA or something like that. And they get up there and say, hi, my name's David. I'm an alcoholic. I've been 23 years sober. sober. When are you going to not be an alcoholic? 23 years you've walked as a new person, but you're still carrying the identity of something that you did 23 years ago. And people live their whole lives and take it to the grave. See, God wants us free. But, but oppression wants to control us and keep us in an identity that God hasn't created for us. So life experiences will confirm it. And then once you get to this state, you will actually start releasing a negative faith that it's true. I believe in this. This is who I am. This is all I can be. You know, when I was, I, I've told the stories many times, I'm not athletic. And um, uh, baseball, football, uh, you know, I remember one time church had a softball league team on there. And uh, I don't know why they put me at home plate. And, um, <laughs> and somebody hit out to center field or left field. And my cousin was out there who could pitch like 95 miles an hour, something like that. He had a good arm. And from outfield, he threw the ball, didn't relay it. He threw the ball. And I'm looking at this thing coming, thinking, <laughs> oh, my goodness, this thing is moving fast. <laughs> And uh, uh, I don't remember what I did. I either missed it or I, I ducked. I, I don't know what it was. But it's like, how in the world do you throw that hard? Because when I get everything I have and throw it, I may hit the wall. And it may be hard enough that it'll scratch the paint a little bit. And he's like, you know, 400 miles away from me and throws this ball. And it's like, and, and. Then I hit the ball, and I'm running to first base, you know, and I, I got everything into it. And, uh, you know, the, the left fielder, well, I probably didn't hit it that far. The, the shortstop catches it, and, uh, you know, he tosses it three times and then throw, throws it over to the first baseman, and I'm still halfway going. I, I, I'm just not a sports person. Well, in grade school, uh, you know, I've told the story in PE. They'd, they'd get down to the last two people, and it's me and another guy, and they'd pick the other guy. And then the other team would say, all right, Shipman, come on. Because I, I, I'm not a good athlete. That, that affected me for a long time because kids would make fun. They would say things. They didn't want me on there. Now, because I've seen several of them, I'm far more successful than they are. But they can run faster than me. <laughs> or they can throw a ball harder than me. Well, I would definitely rather have my life because the functionality of my brain was far faster than the functionality of their brain, and, uh, and it served me well. Okay, but, but it had a stronghold on me. I, I developed an identity around it. But it wasn't the identity that God had for me. It was the identity that, that society had for me, you know, the, the people that were in my sphere of influence. But do you know how many people have allowed their life to become the identity of this? I cannot do that. I cannot do anything. I could never do that. And they live their whole life under this oppression that controls them, that every time an opportunity comes up, they won't do it because their identity now is, I can't. Because oppression's goal is to control. Go ahead. Uh, over there to Evelyn, uh, Ralph. 
appreciate this teaching and all for saying all I would just like to say that the foster home that I was raised in they um, they never encouraged me um, financially wise and so since I've been here um, and other situations have encouraged me but um, as I talked to I you know got to know my biological siblings and just months ago she told me she says do you realize that our grandfather built most of the houses in Rochester New York and I said no and so it's just now that I'm really grasping on to outside of tithing at least you know I've learned to tithe since I was young um, business wise and um, leverage wise I can see where doors are opening up and that that stronghold, that oppression is no longer there. So um, the scripture that I hold on to is about the um, uh, seven streams, the eight, eight streams of income. Mm -hmm. You know. So coming out, it, it, that's an interesting statement. So from coming out of a, more of an impoverished environment, not learning about money, but now she's got relatives who had money. And uh, would you say he was like your second or third cousin is Prince? Like Prince the Musician. So, so now look back at, okay, how environment trains us and environment opens the door to how we operate. This also goes into culture. Uh, you know, me and Sergey talked a lot, you know, what, is, what do they do in Russia? What do they do in the United States? Uh, I remember one year uh, we were talking, I think it was when I was back in Russia, we'd tell each other jokes. He'd tell me a Russian joke, I'd tell him a... Uh, an American joke. And when he told me the Russian jokes, I'd like, that's stupid. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, no, it's funny because of da, 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 da. It's like, it's not funny. And then I would tell him an American joke, you know, a really good American joke. And he's like, it's not funny. And, no, 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 no. Can't you see that? It's not funny. Uh, jokes don't cross culturally very good. But, but our environment trains us how to think about things. And, and, Within that and within the, the destructive parts of it, the enemy's looking for, for doorways. So now she's talking about the seven streams of income. She's battling against what she grew up knowing. So there, there was an arena there of, that led to an oppression in not having things that she's breaking by trying to get a new information and breaking that. And obviously, you know, praying about it and, and trusting God in it and all that, that kind of stuff too. So... So once we gain the identity of, now you're fully under the control of oppression. Because everything is going to take you back to your identity. We, we all live our life based on our identity. This is why I told you for several years I walked around saying, I just confessed it. I mean, when I said I was doing this all day, I was doing it all day. I, I doubt an hour went by that I wasn't confessing. There's an answer for everything. There is nothing, David, there's nothing you will ever face in life that there's not an answer for. You just have to find the answer. There is an answer for everything. And I trained myself to think and, and to operate. Now when any situation comes up, I start looking for the answer. I'm not focused on the problem. I'm focused on the answer. Most people are still, and I was too, most people are still focused on the problem. And they cannot get beyond the problem uh, in seeing an answer. And so once we get identity, the identity surrounded by 
the oppressive force is trying to control our decision and take us down the path of destruction. Once we gain the identity, now we're in a difficult place to get out of because every decision is, is almost like a violation of self. Did, did you experience anything like that, that like as you try to uh, learn, get the streams of income, to think bigger on money, did you, did you ever have that feeling, what I call a violation of self, of, because you're trying to come out of this place and go into this place, but in the process, it tries to make you feel like you should be back here? That's a true statement for you also? Because it was the same thing for me. It's a violation of self to walk away from your identity, even if your identity is a wrong identity. It's a major uh, thing. But it's possible because God's given us the power over all things. Now, um, how, how it works, it, it doesn't have to make sense. So, like, uh, uh, it, it, there can be a logical conclusion. Like, let's say God tells you to do something, and you're broke. And you say, I can't do that. I don't have the money to do it. That's actually a form of oppression, because when God told you to do it, you have now have the power to do it. It may not be visibly manifested there, but you have the power because he told you to do it. Have you ever read stories or heard about stories where, like, an anorexic, you know, they're like, their skin is ba barely taped to their bones, and they say, I'm fat? Now, that's totally illogical. Or an abused person won't leave the abuser and they got all these reasons. That's illogical. But this shows you how powerful oppression is to get us out of the realm of reality of what works and stay into the identity that has been created for us through this process. Now, go to Luke chapter 10. I got to hurry up here. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to our uh, to us through thy name. Now, you say, well, I thought you were talking about oppression. I am. Notice what happened here. The devils are subject to us through your name. Do you know what that means? If oppression is of the devil, the devil is subject to you through his name. Let's, let's continue reading. The devils are subject to us through your name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So Jesus' response was like, yeah, duh. I kicked him out of heaven and he fell to the earth like lightning. What, what do you think is going to happen? This is where I tell Christians all the time, quit fighting the devil. He has no, he has no direct power. And you've been, get, given, been given power over him. What do I mean by direct power? He can only penetrate our lives if we allow him to do. And when we try to fight the devil, uh, I'm such a, under such an attack by the devil. Well, take authority over him. He's defeated. No, but you don't understand. Yeah, I do. You don't understand. Because you're fighting him. He's defeated. Behold, verse 19. Behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all, say all, all. how much? All. The power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Quit fighting the devil. And know that the devil is subject to you. You'll, you'll understand this better when Dr. Mize is here on spiritual authority. So if you can come into the realm where you can understand this, and if oppression is from the devil, uh, 
you know, like everybody, almost everybody raised their hand that they can't say no. You have power over that because that's a demon that's, that's turning you and making you do things that you, you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and, uh, and you can be free. So if you stand against that through his name, you can be free from that. But you have to do something. If you continue to yield to his power, then he will continue to exercise his power over you. If you have to control things, I'm going to step on toes now. If you have to control things, and you can't just walk free with people, you have power over that. You don't have to yield to that. But guess what? It feels good to exercise that control, that manipulation. And a lot of people don't want to get that up. Well, nobody will pay attention to me if I don't do this. God's paying attention to you. You're probably blocking what he's trying to get to you because you can't yield to him. So oppression is the work of Satan who is defeated. We are seated above everything that Satan has power over. Ephesians 2, 6, we're seated in Christ above every name that is named, which was one like 19 and 20. And, uh, and so if we're in that place, then, hey, Octavio, why don't you, why don't you grab that guy right there? We got, a, we got a visitor in the house. I didn't really mean by your hands, but okay. And, um, but thank you. So, er, you don't want to know. I was too far away, I couldn't see. It's either a cockroach or a cricket. And, uh, hey, you want to hear a cool story? Uh, you got to give me two extra minutes, but it's a cool story. James caught a live mouse by the tail. You've done that? I don't know if that was the same one because there's a lot of mice and rats in this, this facility. But he caught it by the tail and carried it out to the... Uh, have you done that? Oh, my goodness. I'm impressed. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> You've done that? And you picked one up by the tail that was alive? All right, let's get back to the message so I can finish up here. Uh, which I'm not going to have time to. Every thought, every thought that is not of the word is a thought that carries the desire to control you. We've got to learn to think by the word. Something happens. What does the, uh, what does the word say? How do I handle this by the word? A great testimony that mom gave. It's cancer. I need to cut it out. Pause. I'll get back to you on that. I've got to find out what the word says. Most people can't do that. Go ahead, Liz. Um, just what you said about the word. Um, like I, my testimony, I was in a abusive relationship for 20 years, and I actually did that. I went into the word, and the word was, my thoughts were of the Bible, which is just things in the relationship. Because the word is a, Divorces the husband, or she divorces the husband, and or he divorces the husband, and they end up, we 
you marry somebody else, the person that end up marrying the divorced person committing adultery. So like, for instance, you know, I I was trying to look for the word to find a reason to not be in this relationship, but everything was coming at me like I had to say something. Now, wait a minute. You say everything. Wasn't there a word coming from some other place that was trying to show you how those words weren't biblical? But you couldn't make sense of it, which it goes back to what I was saying, that when a person that they can't see it, because because oppression, it's trying to control you. One of the ways of control is to get you to where you can't see, because if you could see it, if the anorexic person that's, you know, 88 pounds and uh, just has skin over their bones could really see it, they would logically quit it. But but can't see it. Were you going to say something else? Not all, but yeah. I know what you mean. I was there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I, I, I got to stop, but uh, I got to show you how to do this. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, But I beseech you that I, oh, that's verse 2. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I, I talked about this earlier, that you're not going to battle this in the flesh. You, you, you've got to be able, uh, even in Ephesians chapter 1, open the eyes of my understanding, Lord. Let me see what to do. Um, you, ha- you have to get a plan of attack to, to get out. And um, so though, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we're not looking for a natural answer. We're looking for a spiritual answer. And uh, the word warfare from the original Greek means words for, uh, it's a word for a well-planned strategic attack. Are you strategic? Because most people just want to deliver me, Lord, from this. But the war, by the verse, by the, him saying that we do not walk in, the, or verse 4, the weapons of our warfare, that means it's a warfare. You're at battle. You, you've got, I've, I've said it before, especially like the people I've traveled with into third world countries, that we Americans aren't, aren't really prepared for war. You know, these countries that we go to, they're, in fact, in Africa, it's really tough right now. I was talking to Pastor Gache, and he said, well, he says it's really to the point that families who could eat two meals a day, they're only able to eat one meal a day. Inflation has gone so high, food has become so scarce, uh, different things like that. There's people, there's revulsions going on in the streets over the government, what they're doing. People have been dying in the streets, and they're just really, really bad on it. But, but they've lived in that their whole life. You know, it goes good, and then it goes bad, then it goes good, and then it goes bad. And they lived in it. Uh, I posted a picture of a, a young lady. She's probably in her 20s in a coffee shop like a Starbucks in Israel. And she had a, an AK uh, hanging around her shoulder, which is legal there. They walk around with them because they make it mandatory that everybody goes into the military. I think it's for at least one year, maybe two, so that everybody knows how to shoot a gun. And every house has to have a gun. Because if they're ever invaded by a foreign enemy, everybody becomes a warrior and they're used to buildings blowing up around them and different things happening so they have a mindset to handle we americans don't have that we're weak what's that well i think it'd be good too uh but your average american probably wouldn't um but that's what that's what has kept america safe for a long time is that they know because there's a lot of guns in houses there's a lot of ammunition in, in the in private citizens and if anybody attacked you know it's like that old movie where they 
uh, North Korea attacked like Montana or something like that, uh, Wolverines or something. And so uh, the weapons of our warfare, you're in a warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We've got to pull these strongholds down. Devils are sub to, subject to us in his name, and we've got to strategically go. You might have to break it down bit by bit and get out of it, but we have the power to do it. And he says, casting down imagination. So that's how this thing all started with words that created an imagination of who we are, what we are. You have to cast those imaginations. You've got to see yourself in Christ as who Christ created you to be and cast down every thought that's been against that um, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have the responsibility and the power to control how we live. Let's stand. Jesus came and died for you and I to give us authority. This is where I've said a couple of times now that people are praying for things they have authority over. Exercise authority. Stand in your position. Declare things. What Christ has paid is given to us. Don't pray and ask him to give it to you. Stand in authority over it. Build a relationship in prayer with him. Stand in authority from the relationship that you build with him. Change your identity of who you are, that you see yourself as his child with everything that he's given to you. And when a problem comes your way, and a thought comes in, like, like the thought of this is never going to work, or how am I going to get out of this? Throw, cast those thoughts down. How's it going to work? God's going to make it work. Yeah, but can you give me the plan? No, it's God's responsibility. My responsibility is just trusting him and know that as a son of God, he will, he will make the way there. Is the enemy out doing stuff? Yeah, he's out to kill, stone, destroy, and he's looking for people, roaming around seeking whom he may devour. Don't be one of them. It's actually that simple. Don't be one of them. You can't devour me. I've given authority. I have the power of spirit, the name of Jesus. I can, I can deal with whatever comes my way. But we have to build that capacity. And, and the enemy is trying to keep people in bondage through uh, the element that we're talking about tonight, oppression. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we have to, we, we've got to learn how to walk in the freedom, but not, it would be wrong to just say walk in freedom. Once we're in freedom, we need to move forward in your power. There's a reason for freedom, so that we can stand against the darkness of the day, so that we can make an impact for your kingdom and for this world. God, help us, help us regain an identity that we're not just here to slave labor all day so we can pay bills, go to sleep, and get up and do it again the next day. Yes. You have a purpose for us, Lord. Yes, and we need to walk in this purpose, which as we've talked about for the last two Sundays, as the days of heaven on earth. Help us, Lord, to walk in it, to deal with it, and to know who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.